Okay. When it comes to the daily life side of things, meaning especially for a woman who is married, then what about the relationship between a husband and a wife? Now here, in this verse, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives guidelines concerning that. And there's one simple guideline, which is that, فَاعْتَزِلُ النِّسَاءَ فِي الْمَحِيضِ That during the menstrual period, avoid. Okay? Stay away. Avoid. Now, there is a reason why the people had this question. Remember that in Medina, who used to live? Besides the Muslims, the Arabs, who else used to live? The people of the book. Right? Now, the people of the book were at extremes regarding this issue. Okay? You have the long hadith over here, which you can read later in your own time. Basically, what we learn is that what the people of the book in Medina would do is that if a woman was menstruating, they would separate her completely. Meaning, she wouldn't sleep on the same bed, she wouldn't eat from the same dishes, she wouldn't sit with the rest of the people. It was as if she was treated like an outcast. Alright? And unfortunately, till today, there are places that treat women in this manner. I myself have witnessed a group of people in Pakistan, there's a place in the north which is known as Chitral. Okay? It's in the mountains. And there, there's this community that lives, they're not Muslim. And we were just curious as tourists, we wanted to see, you know, their jewelry was very interesting, their clothes are very interesting. So we wanted to go see how they lived. So we went and we saw that there was like a house and it was just full of women. Only women and full. And there were children running in and out, but the women were inside. So we asked that, what's going on? And they said that, oh, the menstruating women stay here until they're done. When they're done, then they go to their homes. It was so humiliating for those women to be cut off from their society as if this was a curse. In our religion, remember, menstruation is not a curse. Okay? It doesn't make a woman evil. In fact, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says it is adha. It's a painful condition. It's a difficult condition. So be extra nice. Be extra kind. Extra good. And this is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has forbidden sexual intercourse between a husband and wife during this time. Because it could be painful for the woman. So, hayd is not a curse. It's not evil. Remember that. It's not evil. Especially in our deen. And if a woman is exempt from praying and from fasting, it's because typically when a woman is experiencing hayd, she's closer to sickness than she is to health. Right? Because of the loss of blood, because of the change in her body, she's not you know, performing at her best. And yes, there are women who do perfectly fine. They can run, they can swim, they can compete, they can go to work. But there are other women who cannot. So... Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has, in a way, protected women. He has protected women by forbidding them from praying, from fasting, and when it comes to marriage, from this particular relationship also. Alright? Otherwise, during hayd, everything that happens between a husband and wife is permissible. The only thing that's forbidden is the sexual intercourse. Alright? We learned that in a hadith that the Prophet wasallam would put his head in the lap of Aisha radiallahu anha. Okay, so basically he would be laying down, she's sitting. Alright? His head is resting on her lap. 
and he would be reciting Quran. Okay? And Aisha radiallahu anha said that she would be sometimes menstruating. So did the Prophet ﷺ not touch her, not sit with her? No. Everything was normal. So remember that during Hayd, everything that happens between a husband and wife is normal. It happens, it continues. The only thing that's not allowed, and that's only one thing, is sexual intercourse. That's it. Secondly, what we learn in this ayah is about the rules of Hayd regarding the bath. Okay? Regarding the bath. And this bath is supposed to be when? Hatta yatuhurna. It is to be after they have become clean. Meaning once the period has completely ended, then she is going to take a shower. Alright? And remember that it has to be a full body shower. And this is also symbolic in the sense that it allows a woman to come out of the state of hayl and now, you know, resume her regular acts of worship. Alright? So, rules of hayd we learn from this verse. Secondly, secondly, what we learn in this verse is also something related to the relationship between a husband and wife. And basically, when it comes to eating, think about it, when it comes to eating, are there rules of halal haram? Hmm? Yes. When it comes to money, are there rules of halal haram? Yeah? When it comes to food, like for the purpose of leisure, for the purpose of pleasure, are there rules of halal haram? Yes, we learned about alcohol and gambling, right? Now when it comes to marriage also, when it comes to the very private relationship between a husband and wife also, there are rules of halal and haram. Okay? There are rules of halal and haram. And this is going to be awkward, embarrassing, but you should know. You should know. Because in school you may learn about possible things, alright? Your parents may have forbidden you from attending that class, so you never found out, you never learned. Maybe you opened up a book, went to the library, maybe you googled something and you couldn't figure out what exactly is happening, you heard things from other kids. I want you to know what is allowed, what is not allowed. This is essential knowledge for you. As a Muslim, you should be aware. So here... I want you to look at the words, مِنْ حَيْثُ أَمَرَكُمُ اللَّهِ Come to them from where Allah has ordered you. Hmm? From where Allah has ordered you. Meaning, do not come to them from the place that Allah has forbidden you. Okay? So, the Prophet ﷺ, he said three times once. At an occasion, the Prophet ﷺ repeated the statement three times. And what was that statement? لا يستحي الله من الحق. Allah is not shy of the truth. Allah is not shy of the truth. Allah is not shy of the truth. And he said then, لا تأتوا النساء في أعجازهن. Do not come to your women from their backs. And what is meant is that anal sex is haram. If you understand this, make note of it. If you don't understand this, move on. مِنْ حَيْثُ أَمَرَكُمُ اللَّهِ إِنَّ اللَّهَ يُحِبُّ التَّوَّابِينَ وَيُحِبُّ الْمُتَطَهِّرِينَ Now in the next ayah, something else very important is mentioned. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, نِسَاءُكُمْ حَرُثٌ لَكُمْ The relationship between a husband and wife 
is elaborated here. That your women are a harth for you. What is a harth? Harth, from the root letters haratha, is basically a field, agricultural field, okay, that a farmer, you know, sows the seeds in and then eventually over time takes care of that field and then there's crop and then he harvests and then he makes a lot of money. This is basically what harth is. Okay? So, here what is mentioned is that nisa'ukum harthul lakum fa'tu harthakum annashi'tum. So, approach your harth from where or however you wish. Now, harth, this is, like I mentioned to you earlier, the Qur'an is clear without being explicit. Okay? The Qur'an is clear without being explicit. So as to not cause embarrassment to people. Harth refers to the place of fertility. Meaning the place from where a woman would become pregnant. Okay? So here, remember that people had some other superstitions also. They had superstitions related to menstruation. Now they had superstitions related to sexual intercourse also. Okay? So again, the people of the book, they had, you know, spread this rumor amongst the people that if you have intercourse with your spouse in a certain position, then your child will be cross-eyed. Okay? So, superstitious beliefs. Okay? I'm telling you, even today, people have weird ideas related to marital relationships. Weird ideas. Like, for example, they will tell a woman that you cannot walk even 40 steps after having a relationship with your spouse. You should not walk 40 steps before even taking 40 steps, you must take a bath. Okay? I don't know why, but people have weird concepts related to these private matters. And the reason why people have weird concepts is because we don't openly discuss them. We don't learn about them. We were too shy about them. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions them in the Quran. So here, what is mentioned is, فَأْتُوا حَرْثَكُمْ أَنَّا شِئْتُمْ Meaning, the time, the manner is left open. It's up to you. Personal preferences are different. The only restriction is that you cannot go in the back. Meaning you cannot have anal sex. Otherwise, everything else is permissible. So remember, also one more thing before we continue. نِسَاءُكُمْ حَرْثُ لَكُمْ Your. What does that mean? The ones that you have married. So this is in marriage only. All right? This is in marriage only, not outside of marriage. Another thing I want you to understand over here is that some people, they take offense to the description harth over here. They say, oh, women have been reduced to a farmland. No, this is not an insult. This is beautiful. Okay? I want you to think about it. A farmer, an owner of agricultural land, how precious is his property to him? How valuable is it? Have you ever heard of feuds, family feuds over land, over property? Have you heard of murder stories? Yeah? People kill each other. Kill their own brother. They will kill their own sister. They will kill their own father. They will kill their own relatives. Why? Because of property issues. Alright? So, first of all, remember that when the wife has been described as the harth, this is not an insult. 
This is for the purpose of making the husband realize his responsibility. Because the farmer is responsible for the field. He has to take care of it. He has to pay attention to it. Right? And also if you think about it, have you ever tried running through the fields? Yeah? Have you ever done that? Okay. Have you ever done gardening here? Maybe a little bit? Okay. Once upon a time in Pakistan, I wanted baby goats. I love animals. So I wanted baby goats as pets. Okay? So my parents never really liked the idea of keeping goats in the house. However, we went to a farm somewhere and somebody was so nice that they actually gifted me three or four, I don't even remember, astaghfirullah, but a couple of baby goats. Okay? So as soon as they came in, they came into the house, I mean not inside the house, but through the gate, and they came out of the car, they ran into the garden. Okay? And they started ripping apart the flowers and the plants, destroyed all of that in just a few minutes. Few minutes, all the flowers, all the beautiful plants, destroyed, butchered, ruined. Okay? Now, for us, it was like, oh, too bad, flowers are gone. But for the guy who worked so hard, right, for the gardener, he was not happy at all. Because all his hard work had been wasted. Okay? So the reason why I'm mentioning the story to you is that a farmer loves his field, takes care of his field, is attentive towards the field, has to be gentle with the field. He has to be very tender. He cannot be coercive, aggressive. No. And he has to pay attention to the state of the field also. What does it need at this time? He cannot be selfish. A farmer is something other than selfish. Isn't it so? A farmer is always thinking about the field, not about himself. Which is why he will go early in the morning, even before the sun rises. He will do hard work out in the sun, in the heat. Why am I going into all of this detail? Because unfortunately when it comes to marriage, we think that husbands fulfill all their desires and their fantasies in marriage. And a woman is just supposed to say, yes, 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 my boss, my whatever, I'm here for you at your service. Yes, a woman is to obey the husband, but a husband is not living in Jannah in this dunya. This is not Jannah, this is dunya. You're dealing with another human being. You have to be sensitive towards the fact that the other human being also has feelings, also has limits, also has preferences. So, نِسَاءُكُمْ حَرْثٌ لَكُمْ Be responsible. Don't be immature. Another important thing I want you to understand is that a farmer takes ownership of the field. He cannot just go throw the seeds, go to another field, throw the seeds, go to another field, throw the seeds. No. There is responsibility, a huge amount of responsibility that comes with farming. Likewise, with marriage, with sexual relationship, comes a huge responsibility. It's not just about fulfillment of desire. Take responsibility. وَقَدِّمُوا لِأَنفُسِكُمْ And send ahead for yourselves. What does it mean by this? قَدِّمُوا لِأَنفُسِكُمْ قَافْ دَا الْمِيمْ قَدَّمَ يُقَدِّمُ is to send something ahead. And this is a figurative way of referring to actions. 
Okay? Actions. So, قَدِّمُوا لِأَنفُسِكُمْ This means, perform some righteous deeds also. Your obsession in life should not just be this relationship between husband and wife. No. Spend your energy and your time for performing righteous deeds also. قَدِّمُوا لِأَنفُسِكُمْ Life is not just for pleasure. Do something today so you will reap the benefits tomorrow in the hereafter. Alright? And secondly, this has also been said that قَدِّمُوا لِأَنفُسِكُمْ means this is an indication or a hint towards the desire to have children through this relationship so that they would be a sadaqajariya for a person. وَاتَّقُوا اللَّهِ And fear Allah. Even in such a private matter of your life, fear Allah. وَعْلَمُوا أَنَّكُمْ مُلَاقُوهُ And you should know that you are going to meet Him. مُلَاقُوهُ is the plural of مُلَاقِن. مُلَاقِن is one who does liqa. Liqa is to meet. One day you have to meet Allah. And He knows everything about you. What you do out in the open, what you do behind closed doors, how you are with strangers, and how you are with your spouse. He knows everything about you, so fear Him. وَبَشِّرِ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ And give good news to those who believe. What's the good news for them? That they will accumulate a lot of reward by obeying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That even in this private matter of their life, if they obey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they're accumulating, they're gathering a lot of reward. Alright. Any question before we continue? Any question? If you would like to ask a question, something is unclear, you can write it down. Okay? Write it down and pass it on. Inshallah, I can answer those questions later. Alright? The Sahaba asked, I want you to ask. And no question is too weird to ask. If you're too embarrassed to ask openly, ask in writing. Okay? Yes, go ahead. Okay. The question is about ghusl, taking a bath. And remember that a Muslim's body is clean. Okay? A Muslim does not become impure. Alright? Your body is clean. But for salah, in order to pray, you have to adopt extra tahara. So, generally speaking, what do you do before you pray? You do wudu. Alright? But sometimes, in some conditions, wudu alone is not enough. A bath is necessary. When is that bath necessary? In three situations. Okay? Three situations. And you should be aware of this. For a woman, of course, after her period ends, okay, she has to take a bath before she can start praying. And she should do that as soon as her period ends. Do not delay for an entire day. Alright? Do not delay until the next day. No. Once you see that the period has ended, you must take a bath so that you can start praying. Secondly, the second situation is of course sexual intercourse. The third situation is that if there is, like for example, a person has a wet dream, meaning they're sleeping, they had a weird dream and they woke up wet. Okay, So in that situation, they have to take a bath before they can pray. And there's no need to feel awkward. This is part of life. Okay, It happens. So you should know when you're supposed to take a bath. Now how exactly are you supposed to take a bath? Basically, there's three steps. Okay? There's three steps to taking the bath. You all should be aware of this. The first step is to, of course, clean the private part. The second step is to do wudu. 
And the third step is to wash the entire body, starting from the head, making sure that the scalp is completely wet, all the way down to the feet. And if there's something on the skin that prevents the skin from getting wet, like for example, the nails are covered in nail polish, then that should be removed before taking a bath. If there is some kind of a you know, paint or something on your skin, that also must be removed before taking a bath. Go ahead. Okay, good question. If a person has like a cast on their arm, on their foot, and they're not able to remove that and they need to take a bath, then what do you do? In a situation where you have a bandage on your body, where removing the bandage and washing the skin will further damage the skin, all right? then in that case, what you can do, you have two options. One option is tayammum. Okay? Where taking a bath would be extremely difficult. Now, if a person has such a heavy cast on their foot, on their leg, how are they supposed to go into the shower and, you know, take a bath? How? It's going to be very difficult. Okay? So, tayammum is one option. And the other option is where the cast is small, the bandage is small, you just wash around it. Wash around it. Ibn Umar radiallahu anhu did that once. And you just wipe over the cast. Go ahead. Is it a special kind of a bath? The thing is, The purpose of the bath is to wash the entire body. Okay? To wash the entire body. So, if for example, you have a pool in your house and you just decide, okay, I'm going to jump in one side and swim and come out the other side, perfectly fine. As long as you have the intention in your heart that, okay, I'm taking a ghusl. Perfectly fine. Okay? You can do that. But if you follow this method, if you follow these three steps, you're following the sunnah. And when you're following the sunnah, what that means is every time you take a shower, guess what? You're getting reward also. This is why, وَبَشِّرِ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ You get rewarded for showering also. I mean, who pays you for showering? Unless you're really stinky and you refuse to shower, then maybe somebody has to bribe you. Right? Go ahead. Hair oil is fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Okay? Anything else? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. I'm not going to repeat the question, but I'm going to give the answer very quickly. Some scholars don't allow it, okay? Because in our religion, tahara is very important. Cleanliness is very important, okay? And a part of the body like that should not be contacted with an honorable part of your body. The mouth, for example, is a very honorable part of your body, right? So because of this reason, some scholars do prohibit it. Others, however, say that since there is no clear prohibition, it may be allowed. Remember, it's safer. There are many clear fatawa that the scholars have given, mentioning that this, what you have asked about, is not permissible. Okay? Any other question? Okay, let's continue. Let's continue, please. Okay, page number 32. And do not make Allah... Do not make Allah an obstacle because of your oaths. The word urda means obstacle. Basically, it's something that you put in front of yourself to prevent yourself from going somewhere or somebody else from reaching you. So urda is like a barrier, a shield, an obstacle. So don't make the name of Allah or your oath in the name of Allah an obstacle. What does it mean? You see, some people, they take oaths, a lot of oaths. For every little thing, they'll say, I swear by Allah, this and this and this. I swear by Allah, this and this and that. And sometimes when people are angry, or when they're hurt, by a relative, by a spouse, they will say something like, 
I swear by Allah, I'm never gonna speak to my husband again. For example, I swear by Allah, I'm never gonna give a single dollar to my wife again. Hmm? These are not good examples. I mean, these are not good things, but it happens. Alright? Now, for example, a person was really upset. A woman was really upset because of the way that her husband treated her, and she says, I swear by Allah, I'm never seeing his face again. Hmm? Now what happens? After five days, she's like, bad idea. You know, I think I forgive him. And then what happens? She's like, oh, I swore that I will never see his face again. I took an oath by Allah. What am I supposed to do now? Hmm? Or for example, a husband was angry, and he said, I swear I will never give a single dollar again. And then five days later, he realizes that was a mistake. Now what to do? Now he says, you know what? I swore by Allah that I'll never give you a dollar, so... I'm sorry, I can't give you anything. Because I took an oath by Allah. So that's why I cannot give you any money. How convenient, right? I mean, some people could misuse this to avoid certain responsibilities. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, don't make Allah an obstacle because of your oaths in His name. Meaning, don't use the name of Allah to stop you from antabarru, from doing good, وَتَتَّقُوا, and from fearing Allah, وَتُصْلِحُ بَيْنَ nas and from reconciling between people. An example of tabarru, bir, being good, like for example, giving money to the wife. تَتَّقُوا, fearing Allah, what if a person says, I swear I'm never gonna go for hajj again. Some people have a difficult hajj, and they come out so bitter like this, and they say, I swear I'm never going back there again. Don't make such oaths. Alright? وَتُسْلِحُ بَيْنَ النَّاسِ وَاللَّهُ سَمِيعٌ عَلِيمٌ And Allah is hearing and knowing. He heard what you said and He knows what you did. So now what should be done? What should be done if a person did make an oath like that? What's the solution? Yes. Okay, ask for forgiveness and? Okay, good. Let me give you a story from the time of the companions. So this story is actually mentioned briefly in your book on page 33. Abu Musa al-Ashari, the second one. So Abu Musa al-Ashari radiallahu anhu, once he was eating chicken. Yes, chickens existed at that time also. It was only like 1400 years ago. Okay. Anyway, so he was eating chicken and there was a man who came. So Abu Musa radiallahu anhu said, have this with me. Come, have some chicken. So the man said, no, I don't eat chicken. He's like, why? He said, because I saw a chicken eating garbage once, and I was so disgusted that I swore by Allah that I would never eat chicken again. So Abu Musa anhu said, break your oath and eat chicken. Okay? Why? On what basis? He said, and this is a story mentioned in your book, he said that once I went to the Prophet wasallam to ask him for an animal that I could ride so that I could participate on a journey with him. And at that time, the Prophet ﷺ was upset. So when I asked him, he said, By Allah, I'm never going to give you. The Prophet ﷺ was angry, so he said, By Allah, I'm never going to give you. Abu Musa felt so sad. He's like, what did I do? I just asked. Why was he so upset with me? Maybe I did something. He was sad in that state when somebody called him that the Prophet ﷺ is calling you. So he went quickly. And when he went, the Prophet ﷺ had the animals ready for him. He said, here, take this. And take some for your friends also. So he's like, what? You just took an oath by Allah that you're never going to give me. And here you are giving me. What's going on? Alright? 
So the Prophet ﷺ mentioned, and this is also mentioned in your books, in another hadith we learn, that by Allah, Allah willing, if ever I take an oath to do something, and later on I find something else better than the first, then I do the better one and give expiation. Give kafara. So what should be done in the case where you've made a wrong oath? Give kafara. So the husband will give the kafara and give money to his wife. The wife will give kafara and see the face of her husband. Alright? The person will give kafara and go for hajj again inshallah. Alright? Now what is the kafara? What is the kafara? Does anybody know? Okay, there is fasting. Alright? Exactly. If that's not possible, then there is feeding of the needy. Or there is freeing of a slave. Okay? So give the kafara and move on.